pastor's been talking about being a Christian, what it is, and, and uh, how we present ourselves as Christians. And I was sitting there listening to him today, and, and the Lord said, I want you to talk about believers. Now, a lot of Christians call themselves believers, and believers call themselves Christians, but sometimes they don't line up. Everyone is a believer of something. They're a believer in someone, but that's not necessarily that they're followers of Christ. You can find out uh, by today's society how uh, people are choosing basically what side to be on. Am I going to believe God for what I need? Am I going to believe God for health? Am I going to believe God for prosperity? Am I going to believe God for everything that is important in my life? Or am I going to believe something that the world has produced? Someone that the world has raised up? Uh, these days, and, and I understand and I'm very uh, 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 appreciative of the CDC, but they've gone crazy now. They have absolutely gone beyond their boundaries. They have decided that they are the government and they are the ones that are going to tell you what you can and cannot do. They are taking God out of the equation completely. They have decided that they are up there with him and he doesn't, he's of no uh, effect anymore. The reason that God is of no effect anymore is because our faith is not out there anymore. We have started putting our believers on what the world says, our believers on what doctors say. And doctors are great. I have wonderful doctors. My doctor is sitting right here. And I, I know that he's not going to lie to me. I know that he's going to take care of me. I know that when there is something wrong with me, he can identify it. Once it's identified, then I go to the man upstairs and I say, okay, you know what has invaded my body. Now it's time that the name of Jesus be put over that name and that thing be done away with. So we believe in different things. Uh, we were at the, the convention and it was called the Believer's Convention. But I'm, I was sitting there and God said, these are believers, but what do they believe? Are they believing what I'm telling them? Are they going by what I'm telling them? Or are they believing in their emotions, in their intellect, in their feelings? Uh, just what are they believing in? Uh, someone said, no, I'm going to tell you. My daughter, Rachel, said this this morning, and it just rang in my spirit. She said, faith takes a while. Fear is immediate. That is very profound if you will listen to it. Faith takes a while to build. You, you have to continue to stand in faith and stand in faith and stand in faith. And it always comes if you'll stand in faith. But fear will come immediately. You have somebody, you're driving a car, and you have somebody stop quite quickly in front of you, and you're too, far, you're too close to them. Fear comes immediately that you're going to hit them in the rear end. 
fear comes immediately when the doctor says you have a disease. It comes immediately. I remember when I went to the doctor and she said, um, Mrs. Luffman, you have cancer. And fear wanted to jump right on me. But the Lord and the Spirit inside of me said, my name is above cancer. So my response to the bad news was, okay, now what? You know, I'm not against doctors. I'm not against medical procedures. I, you know, okay, you found it. What do you want to do with it? What's the next step? Well, you have to have surgery. I said, okay, when is that? Well, you have to see another doctor. I said, okay, when is that? And I kept pushing and kept pushing because I wasn't afraid and I wasn't going to be afraid. People, people that knew it, which I did not let a whole lot of people know about it because I don't want everybody praying for me. I don't want doubt and unbelief being said over me and my health. I want people who know how to stand in faith, know how to stand in the storm and say, Storm, you're not taking her down. I will stand in front of her. I'll stand beside her. I'll stand behind her. You will not have her and stand with me. So the people that knew that I was going through this, there was one or two that said, um, are you okay with this? Are you okay with this? Yes, I'm okay with this. No, I'm not afraid of it. You know, what can man do to me? What can man do to me? He can send me to heaven maybe, if the Lord allows that. I remember when there was a, a gentleman that we went, we were very young in the ministry, and there was a gentleman that, that called the, the, the church's number was our number at that time. And he called the church and said, uh, me and my wife are out here at this motel. We don't have any food. And uh, so we, we were wondering if church help us. And so pastor and I got in a car, went by KFC, got some food, went out to the motel. Now, A, that was not a very wise thing to do. But because we approached it with a pure heart, God took care of it. Because when we got out there, we talked to the people. The man took my husband outside, and the woman stayed inside with me. And she started just, just having convulsions just about. She said, he's going to kill your husband. He's going to kill your husband. He's a murderer. Just got out of jail for murder. He's kidnapped me. He's beat me and he's raped me. And he's told me that if I leave him, he'll kill my parents. He'll kill my, my family. And I told her, I said, no, 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 no. He's not going to do anything like that. I'm going to pray. So I started praying, and I started telling God, God, you know this is your man. You know that your anointing is on him. Your protection is around him. No thing, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And when I got through with that, that and I'm telling it from the inside of the hotel room. He was on the outside. I, I heard this big thud that came from just outside the door. And she says, oh, my God, he's killed him. He's killed him. So I go over and I yank that door open because I thought, okay, you're going to have to make two of us if that's going to be the case. And uh, back then, I was a pretty good-sized woman. You did not want me to come at you because you would not be standing if I hit you. 
And so I jerked the door open, and my husband's just standing there. And I thought, well, where was the sound? And I looked over, and the guy was laying on the ground in front of a Coke machine that was beside the, the door. And, yeah, he was convulsing. And uh, pastor said, okay, get in your car, let's go. I said, okay. We got in the car. And I asked her, I said, you want us to take you with us? We'll take you to the police station where you'll be safe and they can take care of you. No, I'm afraid of him. He's, he, he's, I know he's going to kill somebody. I said, well, he's not tonight. And we got in a car and we left. It wasn't three days, three days that we saw in the newspaper that they had found the body of a woman behind a big trash uh, container that, that uh, she had been murdered and just left there. They had a sketch of the person that they thought had done it. It was the man that we had gone out. That, that body might have been the lady I had been talking to. I don't know. But that was the man. We called the police department and we said, look, we know where he was because we saw him. No, 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 we know who you're talking about, you know. But uh-uh, we saw him. We knew who it was. It was that man. But it was not meant for him to do harm to pastor because pastor was full of faith pastor was there on a mission from God, he had a chance to turn his life around and denied it. So you have to understand that faith is standing. Fear is immediate. Anyway, I went through that cancer thing. It was, it was miraculous. Uh, they, they, uh, I did the surgery, and they told me that it had been contained in just one little area that had, had other circumstances been done, that I would have had had all kinds of treatments and stuff. But God had put it in one little pouch, and all they had to do was take the little pouch out. I went home the next day after surgery. I went to Rachel's and had Thanksgiving because I had surgery the day before Thanksgiving, seven years ago, and had, have no problem since. So what you believe and who you believe makes a difference in your life. What you believe and who you believe shows out in your character also. It shows out because, I mean, I blew my little, my little uh, uh, gynecologist right out of the water because I wasn't afraid. I never showed any fear. I went to her afterwards for, for the checkup, and she says, well, how are you doing? I hear you did real well. I said, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm, I'm who I am, you know. And, and she was just, it was mind-boggling to her. But a lot of times we say we're something that we're not. I don't want to call myself a believer because there are a lot of unbelievers out there saying that. I'm a Christian. I want to show the love of God through me. I want people to say that's a good Christian woman there. If they don't, I don't really care because I know what God's saying about me. So, um, okay. Let's, let's go to the first uh, verse that, that God gave me. And he gave me this this morning, so it's fresh off the wires. 
Genesis 15 and 6. Genesis 15 and 6 says, and this is talking about Abraham, okay? We know the story of Abraham. Everybody quotes the story of Abraham. It's the first thing in the Bible that they see, and that's probably as far as they get with it. But uh, Abraham was visited by an angel. Abraham and his wife were old. They were in their 70s at this time, and they had never had any children because she was barren. And uh, so he was, he was uh, visited by angels, and they said, you're going to have a son. And your seed will be like those, the sands of the earth and the stars in the heaven. Now, that was not talking about his direct seed that he would see. It was talking about us. Because Abraham believed. The Bible says, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted him counted it to him for righteousness. Now, if you will, if you will remember the story, uh, Sarah wasn't quite as believing as Abraham. Sarah was looking at herself and saying, look, been there, done that, and ain't got the prize. So, I'm way beyond time of that. I, no, uh-uh. And the angel saw her laughing and said, this time next year, you'll have a son. Well, no, he said, believe and you'll have a son. Okay, anyway, it took her 25 years, but Abraham, it didn't stop him. After about a few years, Sarah said, you know, maybe, maybe the guy was a little bit off. You're going to have, you're going to have children, but it won't be with me. I'm too old. I'm getting older by the day. There's no way that my body can produce an offspring. So I have this uh, handmaiden, this young handmaiden, and she's within the productive years. So uh, see if it works with her. I always said, don't you even think about it with mine. <laughs> but anyway, it did. She got pregnant, Ishmael come along. And everybody thought he was the promised one. He was the promised one. But there was a problem with that. The angel said Sarah would have the child. He said Sarah would have a child. And lo and behold, she bore Isaac. So, I mean, you know, sometimes we were, we were talking the other day and God will give you a dream. Now, one of the, the speakers, and I think it was Jerry, was talking about dreams. And he said, you know, don't stop dreaming. God will give you a dream or he'll give you a word of knowledge or he'll give you a prophetic utterance. Uh, and a lot of folks think that it's instant. It's supposed to happen today. Should have happened yesterday. But it don't. It takes time, it takes faith, it takes walking it out. When God calls a person to preach, he doesn't say, you get up behind the pulpit today. No, you have to go to school. You have to sit under your pastor. You have to learn the word. You have to walk in the word. You can't just say the word and it's supposed to work. You're supposed to live out the word. 
And then God will tap the, the pastor on the shoulder and say, he's ready or she's ready. It's time. But we have to understand that our dreams are not to be let away. If we believe what God tells us, then we stand there and we believe it. So uh, Abraham believed and he continued to believe and he continued to believe and his, his uh, prophecy came too. Let's go to Mark chapter 9. And we want to start at verse 14. And I'm going to go quickly, hopefully. Verse 14 starts, it says, And when he came to the disciples, that's Jesus, he saw a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing with them. Those scribes are always fussing. Immediately when they, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeting him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? You got my guys over there. What's, what's the hubbub about? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes as gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Why could they not? Why could they not? They've been walking with the master. People knew that they were with the master. People knew they were, they were his disciples. Jesus answered them and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. He was talking to his disciples. He said, I've been with you all this time. I've been teaching you all this time. I've been showing you what to do all this time. Why haven't you done it? Because there were doubt and unbelief within them. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. Even the devil knew what he looked like. And he fell on the ground and wallowed and foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he's thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, hmm, if you can do anything, the disciples couldn't. And they were students of the teacher. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If you can believe, and that doesn't mean just believe now. You have to believe it tomorrow, the next day, the next day, next year, next year, next year. Faith is consistent. It's not sporadic. It doesn't just jump on you like a monkey and then jump back off again. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, that doesn't sound like, you know, that doesn't sound right. I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but not enough. I need more. I need to be taught more. That's why we have church, to teach you more so that when you believe, your believer's working. 
We got to get our believers working. And when Jesus saw the people come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed, and came out of him. And he became one as dead, so that many said, he killed him. He's dead. Look at what he did. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And then the disciples started asking, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do it? Because they didn't have enough faith. They had doubt lingering in there somewhere. You could tell from, from uh, the time that the disciples were with Jesus that they didn't quite get it all the way. They didn't quite, they, they, they got the dots connected, but they just weren't connecting all of them. And, uh, but one thing for sure, they connected when the Spirit of God came upon them. They connected when the Holy Ghost lit on them. He not only filled them with faith, fire, tongues, but belief. They believed what they'd been taught. They saw it. You know, probably they didn't understand, why are we going to this room? Why are we sitting here? What are we waiting for? Even though Jesus said the comforter will come, they were looking for another man. But when the comforter came, they knew he'd gotten there. That's why it's so important for us to, to have the Holy Ghost and to believe in the Holy Ghost. Let's go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 25. Now, this is Martha. We've told the story over and over, and they, they sang about it today. This was Lazarus' sister. Lazarus had died, and Jesus didn't come immediately, so... You know, she was all distraught, and, and she was saying, you know, he's dead now. If you'd have come when we called for you, he'd be alive. But you didn't come. Now he's dead. And Martha said, I know. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Now, she thought, as they had taught, he would rise with the rest of them. That's not what Jesus said. He said, your brother will rise again. And she said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I, I am all that he needs to live. He's all that you need to live. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe that there is something beyond this? If we truly believed it, we would live each day like it's the last one here. We would not be ugly. We would not be mean. We would not be rude. You know, even unbelievers can be nice. The sad thing about it is we go, to, we go to a lot of restaurants. We eat out a lot. 
and we've talked to a lot of the servers, and they all say they hate to work on Sunday. Is that not true, darling? It's true. They hate to work on Sunday because Christians are the ugliest customers that they have. Now, what a, what a legacy to, to give Christ. People that call themselves Christians are uglier than a sinner. That should not be, people. Call yourself a Christian and walk like Christ. Don't be ugly. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that, that I always said I, I, I probably should never do. Uh, one of them was to be a waitress. I would not last five minutes on the job because I, I, I don't like ugly. Pastor was talking about uh, someone saying, hey, 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 come here, come here. Give me, give me some water. Oh, they'd get it all right. <laughs> they'd be swimming for a while. I just, I don't put up with that. That's ugly. I don't put up with ugly. And as Christians, we should not be ugly to put up with it. Our waitresses and waiters should not be upset because it's Sunday and they have to wait on us. Where we go, and it's not a brag on us, it's a brag on him, but where we go, they fight over who's going to wait on us. A, we're nice to them. We're respectful to them. But B, we tip them, and we tip them well. If you can't afford anything but McDonald's, go through McDonald's. Don't go out and eat and leave the, leave the waitress a penny. I have seen that. My sister waited tables at one time, uh, and, and she said that, that she had uh, some guys come in, and when they left, they left a penny on the table with a glass of water over it. So to get that penny... They had to lift the glass, and the water went everywhere, made a mess. What is wrong with folks? Anyway, we're not, if, if we're Christians, we don't act like that. Um, John, I did that, 1125, we're going to 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to get y'all out early. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 4. And I'll begin with verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers. We act ignorant sometimes, don't we? The problem is we're not ignorant. We know to do right. We just won't do it. Do you know what the Bible calls that? Rebellion. And it says rebellion is the same as witchcraft. Watch it. I'd not have you con uh, ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow for others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, uh, I really, I've, I've read this and read this, but I really didn't put it into sequence like this is here. I think because I'd been taught for a long time through the de denomination and they, did, they had it kind of skewed a little bit. It was not totally biblical. 
It says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, which let me tell you something, get ready, get ready. He's coming. He's coming a lot sooner than people think. They think they've got all, all the time in the world to do what they want to, and then at the, last, at the last minute, they'll call upon the name of the Lord, and they will be saved. Well, I don't know. How many times have they been given the opportunity to do so, and they did not? I, I, I'm glad that, that he's God and I'm not. Um, it says that those that remain until the coming of the Lord will be, be, be by no means precede those who are asleep. The ones that are laying in the grave waiting, well, their body's in the grave, okay? Spirit's gone. But they'll, they'll rise first. You'll see your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters. You'll see them meet him in the air. My goodness gracious, I want to be there when my mama's grave opens up and I see her rise up. When my daddy's grave opens up and I see him rise up. The world is not going to believe that he's coming until they see it. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God. See, Wind instruments are wonderful. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who remain and are alive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It is so, it's so much easier to think about our loved ones when we know where they're at. To think about my baby, I know where he's at. I know when he left this earth that he went to be in the arms of Jesus and that he's waiting for me there. Mama, he was mama's favorite of all my kids. Well, no, Rachel was later favorite. But my two boys that I had, <clears throat> for some reason, little William was, was the favorite and uh, she just she just coddled him and loved on him and gave him what he wanted and uh, she just she would come see him. Now Mama wouldn't come see me, but she come see my baby. And really, he was cute. He, for an eighteen month old, he's pretty smart. He still couldn't say certain words, but that's okay. He was trying. But there was nothing extraordinary about him that he would be her favorite. But I know that when she got to heaven, William was standing there waiting for her. Because one thing he could say, he could say granny. Had a hard time saying mama, but it was always granny. <laughs> so our... Our loved ones are going to be there. They're already there. So there's nothing to grieve about. There's nothing to cry about. There's nothing. Yes, we miss them. Yes, we miss being able to pick up the telephone and talk to them. Yes, we miss being able to go and visit them. That's why it's so important that while your loved ones are living, you, that you communicate with them. 
Too many times people are like, like the elderly are put in nursing homes and nobody ever talks to them. Nobody ever comes to visit them. Nobody, strangers will come in to read a Bible verse to them or uh, uh, the nurses who don't know anything about their backgrounds, don't know anything about it, love on them because they have no one to love them. It is important that you let people that are important to you know that you love them because you're not going to have them always. And I tell, I tell uh, my kids, you're not going to have me always. You better learn how to live. I'll help you while I can, but what are you going to do when I'm not here? It is important to act like a Christian. Christ would keep contact, and his mama was with him everywhere. Now, anytime you, you, you heard of him, his mama was right there in the crowd with him, following right along. The only one at the cross was his mama and one brother, his mama. So it's very important that you keep up. Christ was hanging on that cross. He was totally rejected by everyone. He was hanging there nude, blood running everywhere from the beatings and the crown, the thorns. And, but he looked down and he saw his mama. And he told his brother, look at your mama. In other words, you take care of your mama. I've got to leave, but you take care of your mama. He had time to stop. And let his mama know he loved her, that he was going to take care of her. All of you out here, if you've got mamas that are living, you better, you better love on them. You better take care of them. You better let them know that you appreciate the life they gave you. My mama was not perfect by any sense of the word. Pastor William tells about the faults of his mama but they were our mothers. The Bible says if you want to live long, you better take care of your mama and your daddy. Respect them. Sometimes somebody said, I see this little kid and he's mouthing off at his mama, and I thought, you didn't have a mama like mine, I'll tell you. I'd shoot off my mouth and I got the backhand of religion put in there. Ain't nothing like knuckles in your mouth. And most of the time, she was washing dishes, so I thought I could get away with it. Try wet knuckles in your mouth. (laughs) Not good, not good. But Jesus, as Christians, we need to take care of each other. We need to take care of our mamas, our daddies, our brothers, our sisters. Are they acting right? Well, you don't know my brother. Well, did you always act right? Maybe if you loved them a little harder, they might act a little better. We never know. And I'm not going to put that off on you, but I am saying that our families watch us. When we call ourselves Christians, they watch us to see how we react to things, to see how many times they can make us mad, how many times uh, ugly things come out of our mouth. They're watching us. And if they can see Christ through us, it might just put a little seed in there that they want something that we've got. It used to be that William and I would walk 
walk somewhere and they'd say, I don't know what you got, but I want it. We got Jesus. We got Jesus. And you want him. That's for sure. 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him, who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. We do not get to pick and choose. I don't want to hear, oh, that, that's the old law. That's, that's under the old law. Then you haven't read Jesus very much because he said it is written of old and he would, he would uh, uh, repeat a commandment and then he would tweak it a little bit and make it a little bit harder to, to uh, excuse ourselves from it. He, he, he did not say, it's all right, baby. We know that it's very hard. Now, I know that you're not going to kill anybody. You're not going to kill anybody, are you? I, I know that you're not going to rob anybody. Oh, really? What kind of business dealings are you doing? Hmm? How much are you charging for something that, that is exorbitant? But you got people by the knuckles, and you know that they have to buy it from you. Or you have a fish symbol on your business cards or on your business, and people trust you to be Christian. Hmm? I know that you're not going to... Well, I don't know too much about that one. Covet your neighbor's wife or husband. Mm. Keep your eyeballs to yourself. I, I had someone say, well, you know, it's not bad to appreciate what somebody looks like. I couldn't tell you. I was talking to somebody out in, the, out in the foyer, and they said, oh, I saw you on television, and I saw you sitting next to that, that actor. I couldn't tell you what he looked like. I spoke to him. I shook his hand. But I couldn't tell you what he looked like because I have a man. And I don't need anybody else's man. You ever try trading one in? You usually trade down. So you don't covet your neighbor's wives or husbands. You don't covet your neighbor's belongings. It's okay to say, El Greco has a magnificent house, but I don't want his house. God gave me a house. And if God wants me to have something else, he'll give me something else. But I'm satisfied with what I've got. We need to learn to be satisfied with where we are and what we have. The Bible says he won't give you anything else if you're not satisfied with what you got. So uh, the, biggie, the biggie commandments, we're not, too, we're not too concerned about that. But how many 
believers, I'm going to call them believers because they're not Christians, how many believers think that it's okay to, um, how do I say this nicely, Lord? Have a night on the town and come crawling in at 3 o'clock in the morning while your husband or wife and the babies are in the bed. We got, we got lots of believers in nightclubs every night. We got lots of believers slugging down the brews, drinking the whiskey, because, you know, it, it, it doesn't say a whole lot about it in the Bible. It's just a few verses. If it's in there, then you pay attention to it. And especially if it's in red, pay attention to it. You cannot just slide into heaven. As pastor's been preaching, there is a big old wide way that goes to what people think is going to be heaven. There's lots of people on it. You got preachers on that highway. They're telling their people, it's okay to do this. It's okay to do that. God is love. He is. God is forgiving. He is. God will... will just take into account that you're only human and that as only humans, you're going to do stuff. As only humans, we will do stuff. But then as humans, we're supposed to stop immediately, ask forgiveness, and not do it again. People think they can, okay, I got caught, so I'll ask forgiveness, and then the next time they get a chance, they'll do it again. After all, God's going to forgive me. You know, he's got grace for me. No, God has mercy, and you throw yourself on the mercies of God. But the Bible tells me that there are times when God does not have to forgive you. Hmm? When you are stubborn and rebellious, and you think that, that God is your uh, sugar daddy or whatever he is, that he has to take whatever you deal out to him, uh, no. No. There is a scripture that says he does not have to. So there could come a time when you do your thing and you say, okay, God, I know it was wrong. Forgive me. And he just turns a deaf ear to it. And he wonders how many times he got to forgive you. You have to forgive man seven times 70 or ever how many times they transgress against you. But God doesn't have to forgive you for being stupid. You're not ignorant. Paul says, I would not have you ignorant, brother. He's talking to the church. He's trying to tell the church, tighten up. He's trying to tell the church, you got to live right. You got to do right. You got to be right. And as long as God sees you are trying to do right, be right, then he'll help you. But as, as the woman in the well Jesus told her all of the stuff about, you know, you've been married five times, you're living with a man now, and he's not married to you. Well, pastor, he forgave her. What did he say? Your sins be forgiven. Go and sin no more. Get yourself out of it and don't go back to it. If God has delivered you out of something, don't go back to it. If God has delivered you out of drinking, don't go, don't go to the places where the drinks are. Don't go down the aisle in the, in the uh, grocery store. where. The, 
Isn't it ridiculous? They put the liquor by things that you think you ought to need. You know, they, they got it by toilet paper and paper towels and, and stuff like that. So you have to go down the aisle where the liquor's at. Well, if you've got a problem with liquor, go online and order your toilet paper. Stay away from it. If you've got a problem with smoking, don't go where they're smoking. Well, pastor, I work and the people, uh, 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 uh. There's no smoking in the buildings around here. Now, they'll go outside. They'll go around the corner. Stay away. Easy peasy. You don't have to be there. Don't subject yourself to something that he's pulled you out of. If you, were pro you had problems with drugs, don't go where they are. Don't be associated with the people you bought it from or the people you did the drugs with or the people that know that you have the, the problem. Get away from it. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Now, he has, you used to be when I was growing up, the preachers would tell you if you said a wordy dirt, you had to go back to the altar. You had to get saved all over again. Lord have mercy, people were being saved 300 times a year. You, they said, you know, you've wiped out your whole salvation. You're not saved anymore. They, 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 they said, you're saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, sanctification is learning how to live saved. But you had to go back through all of that again. You had to get saved again. And let me tell you something. You could not go to the altar in those churches that somebody wasn't betting on what you did. You could be going to the altar saying, Lord, I've had a rough week this week. I just need a little strength this week. But you got Sister Noah all over there saying, well, I know what she did. You can look and see what she did. Shame on you. Jesus didn't say you could look and see what they did. He said, come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He had a heavy yoke. But, so why is he saying take my yoke? Because he broke that yoke. His burden was lightened after he went to the cross and he did what the Father had him to do so that we could learn to live as Christians. We could learn to be as close to Christ as we possibly can. We could learn not to say wordy dirds. Beyond me, I'm, 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 I hardly ever go on Facebook anymore because mostly what I look at is my dogs because I don't want to see what Christians are putting on there. Christians are putting on things that, that have the F-bomb in it. and uh, I'm thinking, uh, what about this is not right? The name or the post? Hmm? Even though they think that the post fits the situation, the language does not. We're supposed to live clean as we possibly can. Amen? As Christians, we are the only little anointed ones that the world's going to see. 
Believers, on the other hand, we don't know. Be the one that is looking for the straight and narrow road. Be the one that's looking to say, Lord, what is it in me that I need to get rid of? Burn it out of me that I can be more like you, that I can lead people. I don't have to preach to anybody to lead them to him. Live the life. Walk the walk. Talk the talk. And they'll be led. You don't need to go out and think you got to preach to everybody because your life preaches louder than your words do. So be Christians. Be Christ-like. Be the light that's set up on the hill. Be the beacon that people know that they can, they can come to you and, and you can answer questions that nobody else can. Be the person that Jesus wants you to be. If you're in him and he's in you, then that's all you need. Be full of him, continually full of him. Now, one, one last thing. Um, I think it was Keith Moore was talking about being full. And a lot of people say, well, you know, uh, I, I, just, I just come to church to get a refill. No, you don't come to church to get a refill. If you're, if you're dry, yes, come, get loaded up. But you come to church to get power. You come to church to get strength. You come to church to get knowledge. You come to church to learn how to, how to live in this life. You come, come to church to learn what to believe and what not to believe. That's why it's so, so important that we attend church. I'm going to be here tonight because I want to see what they're putting up there. I want to watch because it's good for me. It's good for my soul to watch and look and observe and make sure that I've got things right. So I challenge you, get up off your couch, whatever it is that you've decided to do for the day, stop it at, at 6 o'clock, be here at 6.30, because this is a life-changing thing if you will take it and you'll apply it and you'll, it will strengthen you, it will strengthen your church, it will strengthen uh, anything about you. It'll strengthen it because it's the truth and it's the word. Amen? Amen. Kenneth Hagin said, a lot of Christians are like this. If faith was dynamite exploded, it wouldn't be enough to blow their nose. If your faith exploded, how much dynamite you got in it? I'd say we got a lot of dynamite sitting in this in this church right now. We got a lot of people standing in faith and would fight a buzzsaw for the word of faith. We've got faith-filled, faith-loving, faith-walking, faith-talking people sitting in this church. Let's take it outside the church doors. Amen?